All right, so if you'll look on your table, you should have some notes. It's called Shoftim, which is the word for judges. Uh, this actually goes from Deuteronomy 16, 18, all the way to chapter 21, 9. But uh, obviously, we're not going to cover all of that. I do want to give you just a few outline notes and go ahead and, and tell you that we're actually going to spend most of our time tonight in the New Testament. Um, because if you don't understand your Old Testament, there are massive amounts of passages in your New Testament that just won't make sense. And as Susan started sharing with us, is that there's this issue of the prophet to come. And yes, Yeshua fulfilled that. But the meaning behind it is massive. And it makes a lot of the things he said actually make sense only if you understand this prophet. And so that's why we're going to spend some time dealing with that. But first, let's go uh, look at your notes here on page 1 where we've got Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 through 20. I want to share a couple things with you from here. Uh, in verses 18 and 20, it says, Appoint judges and officers within your gates, which Yahweh, your Elohim, is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous right ruling. Do not distort right ruling, do not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Follow righteousness, righteousness alone, so that you live and inherit the land which Yahovah your Elohim is giving you. So to start off with, I want you to notice something here because <clears throat> this whole section in here is really talking about righteous and righteous judgments. And he lays out a lot of groundwork here, and I've got the notes for you again, the outline for you that I am once again pulling out of this book called Walk Deuteronomy. They've got one for every one of the first five books of the Bible. Once again, I suggest you get that. You can find it at Amazon. But right here you can see that this first section, it deals with judges. And so... God wanted His people to be a people of righteousness, goodness, uprightness, and judges that would rule rightly. God is not a mean, vindictive judge. He's a loving God. Uh, and He wants His people and others that come within His people to be treated fairly. And so He would say, listen, within your gates... You're to set up the judges. The gates were the entry point into each town. Remember the story about Lot where it says that he sat at the gate of the city and he wept. And that is a clue that he had reached some, some level of status there in Sodom and Gomorrah. But it also said that he was a righteous man and he was weeping and mourning in his heart for the sinfulness he was seeing there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, God is telling them, look, th this is the place where people come and go. It's the, it's, it's the entry point into town. So you're to set up these judges there because that's where people are coming. And when people would see that, they would know that this was a righteous town. One of the little hidden things that I picked up on when I was reading this was a challenge for you and I 
to set up the Word of God as a righteous judge in the gates of your life. That you should guard all the entry points into your life with the Word of God. The things you hear, the things you see, the things you're watching, the things you're listening to, what comes on your property, what stuff you're allowing into your mind and heart. When you see things you shouldn't see, it should grieve your heart. And then you should work at cleansing what you just saw. Which means if you've been outside and you've gotten muddy, you take a bath or shower, whatever, that, whatever your preference is. When your soul has been tainted with garbage, wash it. The Scripture tells us the washing of the water of the Word. So whatever it takes to fix that, you need to fix it. Because sometimes it's hard to unsee something. Right? So the only way is you have to flood that with God's goodness and God's Word. So, and he says that they're supposed to judge the people with righteous right ruling. And then he goes on, he says, you're not to take a bribe. You're not to distort the right ruling uh, because bribes blind the eyes of the wise and it twists the words of the righteous. Man, if that's not an indictment and a um, synopsis of America today, I don't know what is. Because the corruption, it goes all the way up to the top. I mean, it, it, it's, and it's just everywhere. If we really could see it, we would be aghast at it. Um, but anyways, so this section here is about <clears throat> that we should have judges set up and that judges would rule rightly, and it was to be in all of their towns. This was to be a government set up by God according to His Word as the document, and that that document supersedes men's opinions. Kind of like the Constitution of the United States, it's supposed to supersede men's opinions. But this one world government cannot function with our Constitution. It's like Follick was sharing. It doesn't mix. So somehow, some way, that's got to be removed or at least removed mentally where people don't think it matters. It does matter. Amen. All right. Y'all going to make me do this by myself. It does matter, Amen. right? For our country, but also, watch this, God's Word. It's the document. It is the Constitution. It's what matters, not men's opinion. You don't get, a, you don't get the option of, well, I think it means this. No, it means what it means. Amen? So, um, it jump, you jump down to the bottom of the page there. I did highlight one thing for you. Uh, if you look up at the top of the page, I usually give you the Torah reading, the Hof Torah, which that's the extra reading. And then on the right side, you'll see what's in the New Testament. Okay? If you look down at the bottom of the notes here, uh, this, the outline I gave you that I copied out of the book, you'll have the Torah, the Hof Torah, the Brit Kadashah, which that's the New Testament. And that one looks different, doesn't it? Because it's Matthew 3, 1 through 17. You look up at the top, and this is John 1, 19 through 27. Man, I'm, I'm copying and pasting this from other Christian places. I'm not smart enough to put all this stuff together. But here's what I do want you to see is that this one here in Matthew is still the story about John the Baptist. 
The one up here, John 1, which we will get into, is also about John the Baptist. And it's very important. I'm just pointing that out to you in case you see this and go, Paul, Pastor Paul, what are you using here? Because you got verses all over the place and I don't know what's what. Well, that's, that's why you might see some discrepancies there. All right, let's jump down to the bottom of the page here on page one. It says Deuteronomy 17. This is verses 14 through 20 because now it's going to deal with the king. This is really cool. It says, when you come into the land which Yahweh your Elohim has given you and shall possess it and shall dwell in it, and you shall say, let me set a sovereign or king over me like all the Gentiles around me. You shall certainly set a sovereign over you whom Yahweh your Elohim shall choose. Set a sovereign over you from among your brothers. You are not allowed to set a, a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Let me stop there just for a second. Set a sovereign over you. That's kind of a tongue twister. At least it is for me. Um, I want you to notice something here because it says in verse 15, you shall certainly set a sovereign. You shall certainly set a sovereign over you. uh, When you get into the original text on that, it can actually mean you may certainly set a king over you. What I want you to notice here, and you can put a note here on this if you want. I would suggest you do that. This issue of putting a king over them was optional. It wasn't what God really wanted. He wanted a theocracy, and He wanted to be king over them. Um, And later on, when they did ask for a king, Samuel is there. He's weeping over it. He tells Samuel, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You go ahead and give them a king. Uh, and, but it's a king. Watch this. The kings that they were to have, they were not to pick them. This is not a democracy. You want to have a king? No problem. But the king you're going to have, I'm picking him out. And then when you have a king, here are the stipulations for the king. So let's jump over to the next page as we continue to read. He said, only... He is not to increase horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Mitzrayim, Egypt, to increase horses. For Yahovah said to you, do not return that way again. And he is not to increase wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor is he to greatly increase silver or gold for himself. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his reign that he shall write for himself a Torah, a copy of this Torah in a book. From the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he learns to fear Yahovah's Elohim, and guard all the words of this Torah, and these laws, and to do them. So that his heart is not lifted up above his brothers, and so as not to turn aside from the command to the right or to the left, so that he prolongs his days in his reign, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So here's what's supposed to happen. If you're going to have a king, number one, God's going to pick him out. Number two, he's not to live a lavish lifestyle. He's not to accumulate a lot of wealth and gold, a lot of wives, and a lot of horses. Sounds like Saul, David, and Solomon to me. Right? It's exactly what they did. Uh, And then he said, and this is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to sit down 
the scribes were to have the original Torah in front of the scribe, but the scribe wasn't to write this next copy. The king, each king was to write his own copy of the Torah inspected by the scribe to make sure he wrote it correctly. Then the king was to keep that Torah with him at all times. And he was to read it every single day. Why? Well, because absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's what they were supposed to do. It's not necessarily what happened. King David came the closest, I believe, but even he acted like an idiot. He did. Had a bunch of wives and stuff, and he did all, he was just an idiot. You know, he had that Bathsheba thing going on um, and, and other stuff. And he ended up being a liar and an adulterer and a murderer. Um, and yet he was a man that was called a man after God's own heart. Uh, but God held him accountable for it. Now, I gave you another note here. Watch this. Yeshua is the king of the Jews, is he not? That sign was literally placed over his head, and I've got that verse for you there in Matthew 27, 37. It says, and they put over his head the written charge against him. This is Yeshua, the sovereign or the king of the Jews. So Yeshua is the king of the Jews, right? I got this note for you. I'll just go ahead and read it. If Yeshua is correctly the king of the Jews, by then, then by his own Torah, he cannot change the Torah. And he must keep or guard all the words of the Torah. This is exactly what he did. He didn't change or nullify any of the Torah. However, he did change and nullify the laws or rulings of the rabbis. It's called takanot is what they call it, or helakha. It's how you walk out what they say the Torah means. So they come up with their laws and you'll see them constantly hounding Jesus, Yeshua, all through the Gospels, and He's constantly challenging them about how their laws were nullifying the very Torah they were supposed to be teaching. Why? Because they began to believe they were above it. And they have the oral Torah, and the oral Torah supersedes the written Torah. Like I said, everybody has been messing this up. Now, also notice this, that the king was to write the Torah himself, not just have a copy that someone else wrote. Is Yeshua the king? Yes. Yeshua is the author of the Torah, and he displayed it perfectly in his flesh here on the earth. You see, all through, we don't have time to chase this. I wanted to, but I was like, oh man, that's a 10-part that's a series there. But Yeshua is always seen as the acting agent of God from creation forward. He was the one speaking at Mount Sinai. He is the original Torah giver. That's why in John 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what? The Word, the Torah, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us goes on and on and on. And so Yeshua is the king of the Jews, and he's our king. He's to have the Torah that he wrote. He's to dwell on it day and night and never change it, but guard it and protect it. 
And that's what the original king of Israel was supposed to do and make sure that the judges were ruling rightly, not according to his opinion or their opinion, but according to the document. The Torah. Mic drop. Boom. Right? <laughs> uh, okay. So that's that section there about the king. I thought that was really, really cool. Now we want to get into what I think is like really, really, really cool. <laughs> it's this deal about the prophet. So look at this in, in chapter 18, verses 18 through nine, or 15 through 19 to start with. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Verse 15 says, Yehovah, your Elohim, shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brothers. Listen to him. According to all you asked, past tense, of Yahovah your Elohim in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahovah my Elohim, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And Yahovah said to me, What they have spoken is good. I shall raise up for them a prophet like you out of the midst of their brothers, and I shall put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Pay attention to this. I highlighted mine. You might want to circle yours. And it shall be the man who does not listen to my words, which he speaks in my name, I'm going to require it of him. Can somebody say, uh-oh? <laughs> so first of all, let me, let, before we turn the page, I want you to notice something. He says, Yahweh, your Elohim, shall raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking. This is the only time in Scripture where Moses refers to himself as a prophet. The only time he does it. And it's in reference to God sending another prophet. Now, you get to verse 18, and he says, I shall raise up for them a prophet like you out of their midst. So when we get into the New Testament, which that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time in the New Testament, because I want to show you how Yeshua fulfilled this uh, office of, now watch this, the prophet. We're going to notice this in the New Testament. It uses a definite article, the prophet, not a prophet. He's not just a prophet. He is the prophet. He's the prophet that was prophesied that was to come. That's very, very important. He's not one among many. He is a prophet among many, but he is the prophet. In the same way that Yahovah is God among these other Elohim, but He is the God of all gods. And in the same way Yeshua, does that make sense? Yes. Elohim means God. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a title. It's a statement of residence or where He's from. Uh, and that's why it's in the plural because there's many from this other unseen realm. But he is unique among them all because he started it all. He is Yahovah, creator of heaven and earth, and all that is in all of that. 
and he stands out as unique among all of them. Okay? Yeshua is a prophet, and there are other prophets. Moses was a prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, prophet, Samuel, prophet. You know, you got these guys that are prophets. Uh, but Jesus isn't one among many. He is the prophet and a specific one that God said, you know what? They're right. What they're saying is right. So I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among them, and I'm going to put my words in him, and they had better listen to every single thing he says or I'm going to require it of them. There's something about that event. Now, we, look, we went over that when we went through Exodus. I didn't dive off in it because I went, well, that's a whole... I can just get trapped on one verse sometimes. Y'all are like, yeah, we know. Um, but there's something fascinating about that event. So before we go forward, I want you to try to think with me on this. The people are, I mean, God is speaking to the people from Mount Sinai. They're seeing the mountain on fire. They're hearing the trumpet sound, and they're hearing the voice of God that sounds like the shofar, and they're hearing the Ten Commandments. When they're, doing, when they're hearing it, they get scared. We don't want to hear God anymore. We don't want to see that fire anymore. You know they have pictures of that mountain now, that it's burnt? The top half of it is burnt. The real Mount Sinai. That's a whole other story. Uh, and it scared them. So they said, you talk to God for us. We don't want to hear God ourselves. And God's response is, you know what? What they're saying is right. I remember when I first read that, I went, so now you're going off of um, mass opinion? Uh, what, uh, keep in mind, they haven't done the golden calf yet. Right? Secondly, he let them make that statement so that he could do this and give a prophecy. Yeah, there's somebody coming, and he's going to speak my word properly, and my word is not subject to everybody's individual opinions. Can you just imagine what it would have been like if all of them in this unregenerate state, they're about to do the golden calf, the ground is going to swallow up some of them. They're going to have the fiery serpent. All of that stuff hasn't happened yet. They're at the Mount Sinai event. God's people. Can you imagine in this unregenerated state, all of them saying, well, God spoke to me, and this is what he said, and this is what he meant. Talk about chaos with prideful, self-centered people that still have a lot of Egypt in them, and so God goes, you know what? Yeah, they're right. Not only are they right about that, but I'm going to raise up a prophet later from among them, and I'm going to put all my words in him, and they'd better listen, hear Shema. They'd better hear and respond properly to everything he says, because if they don't, I'm going to require it of them. That's powerful, right? Well, folks, in the same way, that God goes, and to make sure that we got all our bases covered, now I'm going to have Moses and my prophets write it down. 
and don't add to it or take away from it because it's not up to your opinion. It says what it says. Amen? So let's see how Yeshua fulfilled this office of the prophet. This is fascinating. So turn the page, page 3. Yeshua fulfills the office of the prophet. Now you get into John chapter 1. This is a story of John the Baptist when Jesus shows up uh, and he ends up getting baptized. It says, and they asked him, are you Eliyahu? That's Elijah. Uh, There's no J sound in Hebrew. So he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? You might want to circle that or highlight that. They're asking, are you the... They're looking for three people. They're looking for Elijah, or they're looking for the prophet because they know their Bible, that Moses said there's going to come a prophet, a specific prophet, uh, and you need to listen to everything he says. And he goes, no. Verse, 30, verse 22, therefore they said to him, well, who are you? So that we can give an answer to those who sent us. The, the rabbis sent them. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of Yehovah. As the prophet Yeshahayu, Isaiah, said, and those sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, why then do you immerse or baptize if you're not the Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet? So they're looking for the Messiah, or they're looking for Elijah, or they're looking for the prophet. You following me? They said, are you the prophet? They didn't ask him if he was a prophet. They saw him out there baptizing. They're like, okay, so something different is going on here. Are you the prophet that we're supposed to be waiting on? He goes, no. They'd already asked him about it. He's like, look, I'm not the Messiah. Okay, well, you're not the Messiah. Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? To this very day, every year at Passover, they do what? They have the what? At At a Passover Seder meal, they have a cup of Elijah. Waiting for Elijah to come. Why? Well, because Elijah is supposed to come before the day of the Lord. We'll get to that in just a second. It says uh, in verse 26, Johanan John answered him saying, I immerse in water, but in your midst stands one whom you do not know. The one coming after me who has become before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loosen. This took place in bet Anya or Beth-Ani is the way we say it in English. Beyond the Yardan, who, where Yohanan was immersing. On the next day, Yohanan saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, See, the Lamb of Elohim who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who has become before me, for he was before me. So what I want you to notice before we move forward, number one, okay, so they're looking for this prophet that God said, I'm going to put all my words in him. And they know that. They still know it. They know their Bible. They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the prophet. They're looking for Elijah. And it says that this took place at Beth or Bethany. This is fascinating. That means house... You might want to write this down. That place means house of poverty or depression or misery.
Yeshua's been in the wilderness. I mean, Yeshua, all, all of this is about to happen, right? Comes out of the wilderness. This is right here uh, at this place where John is, is baptizing. And this place is called the house of misery. So Jesus is born in a place of misery to do what? Bring deliverance. Um, absolutely amazing. So they know, once again, they know their Bible. So I gave you the reference there in Malachi 4, verse 5. And he says, See, I am sending you Eliyahu or Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahovah, the, the, the final day. Remember uh, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, asking about Elijah, and he said, If you can accept it, John did come as Elijah. Um, so they're looking for this, this prophet. Jump down to... Now I want to show you... So make sure we're clear on this. This prophet that is to come later, like Moses, that's going to speak for God and be a go-between between God and His people. He says, I'm going to put all my words in him... And he will speak all my words. And the person that doesn't listen to that prophet, I'm going to require it of him. We're clear on that? Yes. You have to be real clear on the meaning of that. Now, with that as your backdrop, let's look at what Jesus said. And you might go, wow. So you get into John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. Then Yeshua cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. All of this should start jumping off the page at you. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And if anyone hears my words but does not watch over them or guard them. I don't judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's like, I personally don't even have to judge you. That's not why I'm here. I came to save the world from these sins. He continues on in verse 48. He who rejects me does not, reject, does not receive my words, has one who judges him. The word that I have spoken shall judge him on the last day. What's he saying? I'm the prophet. I'm only saying the words that my father has given me. You might want to take note. You might want to pay attention. And he goes in verse 49, because I spoke not of myself. But the Father who sent me has given me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is eternal life. His commands, folks, aren't burdensome. It's life to us. Therefore, whatever I speak... As the Father has said to me, so I speak. Does it sound like he's saying, how many times do I need to say it? And how many ways do I need to clarify to you? I'm the prophet. 
I'm only saying the very things that God the Father has given me. That's all you're, that's all you're ever going to hear. You go to Acts chapter 3, verse 22 through uh, 23, the apostles finally got a grasp of this and they start testifying about it. Uh, here we've got, it says, For Moshe truly said to the fathers, Yahovah, your Elohim, shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Him you shall hear according to all matters, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every being who does not hear that prophet, Specific here again. That prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Can't get any more strong than that. You get down into Acts chapter 7. It says this. This is the Moshe who said to the children of Israel, Yahovah your Elohim shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall, him you shall hear or Shema. You need to hear what he says, everything he says, and you need to obey what he says. So you get down into, let's go back to John chapter 3. This is John the Baptist speaking here. It says, For he whom Elohim has sent speaks the words of Elohim, for Elohim does not give the Spirit by measure. He's talking about he's poured out his Spirit completely on this prophet and everything that he's saying are the very words of our Elohim, of our God. You get down to John chapter 5, verse 45 through 47. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you've set your expectation. For you to, if you had believed Moshe, you would have believed me since he wrote about me. When did he write about him? Not only, what, not only all through the Old Testament are all these types and prophecies about Yeshua, but he wrote specifically about Yeshua being the prophet. And so here he's saying, you don't believe Moses, what in the world makes you think you're even going to believe me? You don't believe him, he wrote about me. He prophesied about me. Here I am, I'm standing right here in front of you. That's a massive, isn't it? And then he goes, if you don't believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? You don't even believe the words of Moses. You hang more on the writings and rulings of the rabbis than you do what Moses said. To this very day, the Jewish people are a whole lot better at quoting the rabbis than they are quoting the Scripture. I'm sorry, but it's, it's amazing. I was a little bit stunned when I was explaining to my Hebrew teacher, an Orthodox Jewish man in Jerusalem, and explaining to him the first and last days of the Feast of Passover. And he starts in with this rabbinical stuff about Sabbaths, and that's kind of weird, and they're special and all this stuff. I'm like, it's your, it's your feast. You should know this stuff. And he was just dumbfuzzled over it when I was telling him, you know, Yeshua didn't die on Friday. He was like, what are you talking about? I said, no, he died on Wednesday. He's like, what are you talking about? And I said, it's in your, you should know this. He died on the 14th, the 15th of Sabbath. Then they went out the next day and they bought their spices. Then they rested on the Sabbath. That was the weekly Sabbath. Then he rose on Sunday. Doesn't, it's not, it doesn't take rocket science to figure this out. It just, you got to get this filter off. Anyways. 
They're really good at quoting the rabbis instead of just knowing what the Scripture says. You get to uh, John chapter 7. So Yeshua answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but He who sent me. You get to John chapter 8. I have much to say and to judge concerning you, but He who sent me is true, and what I heard from Him, these words I speak to the world. They did not know that He spoke to them of the Father. So Yeshua said to them, When you lift up the Son of Adam, or the Son of Man, talking about Himself, then you shall know that I am He, and that I do none at all of myself, but as my Father taught me these words. Words I speak. You get to John chapter 8, verse 40. It says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has spoken to you the truth, which I heard from Elohim. Abraham did not do this. The reason you want to kill me It's because he's telling them the truth and it's rocking their boat and they simply can't handle it because it's going to mess up their money. It's going to mess up their prestige. It's going to mess up their stuff. It's going to mess up their system. When all he's telling them is everything that's written in the Torah, everything, and he's literally living it out in front of them. That next one I've got down here for you, John 12, verse 49 and 50. Let's skip that because I've actually got it in the next section. Is that right? Or did we already cover that? I X'd it out. Let's see. Yeah, I already did it. That's what it was. I copied and pasted too much today. Turn the page to page 5. This is the last page here. Um, you get to John chapter 14. This is verses 29, uh, 9 through 26. Absolutely incredible. Yeshua said to him, Have I been with you so long and have you not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say, show us the Father? You can almost hear his frustration like, really? I mean, how many times do I have to say this? And you're just, not, you're just not getting it. Then he goes, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak from myself. But the Father who stays in me does his works. Oh my goodness. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe me because of the works themselves. It's like if you, if you can't even believe just the words that I'm saying, look at all these proofs I've been giving you that what I am saying is the truth. Verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. What? Hmm. And greater works than these he shall do, because I go to my Father. 
And whatever you ask in my name, that I shall do in order that the Father might be esteemed or glorified in the Son. It's amazing. We're so self-centered. We take that and say, see there, hallelujah, I can ask whatever I want and Jesus is going to do it. He told us. He goes, look, first of all, you got to ask it in my name, which means in my stead, meaning it's something I would want. Chances are he doesn't want you to have that Lamborghini. That, I'm just guessing, but that would be my guess. Uh, we get, we're just so self-centered. We're always praying for things that are usually, I say always. I think a vast amount of our prayers, really, a vast majority of them are for us. Right? I mean, God, help me with this. Help me with this sickness. Help me with this job. Help me with that. Help me with my kids. Help me with my wife. Help me with my husband. Help me with this. Help me, help me with that crazy neighbor I've got, you know. And he's got those goats that he can't keep in his yard. You know what I'm saying? We have, those are usually our prayers. Instead of Yahovah, our Heavenly Father, Yeshua, how would you have me glorify you today? That's different. And it's in that vein, he goes, you ask whatever you want and I'll do it for you. You need $50,000 to train some pastors? Nothing. Drop in a bucket. Get the word out there, start praying. Just start praying. I'll bring it. Ask, and he'll, he'll do it. And he goes, If you ask whatever in my name, I shall do it. And then look, this is where now these words now make sense. This is the first one that I used about three years ago that got me in trouble. All I did was ask a question. All I said was, this is what Jesus said, and I said, which ones? So in verse 15, it says, if you love me, you shall guard or keep my commandments. And I said, which ones? And then everybody got mad, or not everybody, but some people got mad and said, so you're telling me if I'm not keeping those Old Testament laws and I don't love Jesus? I said, I didn't say that. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I just asked which ones. Seems like a fair question. But now, let's flip this around a little bit so that this really makes sense. So who, who is he? What office is he fulfilling? All right. Look, when I ask a question, this is a participatory thing. It's okay to respond. I'm actually looking for a response. So what office are we studying here that he, is that he has and is fulfilling? The prophet. And the prophet, the issue over the prophet is that everything that comes out of his mouth, all of the words, commands that he's speaking are the very words and commands of the Father. And the Father said, when this prophet comes, he's going to say everything I tell him to say, and if you don't hear Shema, hear and listen and obey and keep guard what he says, I'm going to require it of you. This is why Jesus is saying, if you love me, you really love me, then you'll guard the words coming out of my mouth. All of them. Not just the ones you like. But all of them. Isn't that amazing? 
He goes, if you love me, you'll guard my commands. And I shall ask the Father and he shall give you another helper to stay with you forever. This is getting pretty cool here, right? The Spirit of truth. We know who that is, right? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Whom the world is unable to receive because it does not see him or know him. There's no relationship. But you know him, for he stays with you and shall be in you Huh. So He's going to be in us in the same way that the Son is in the Father and the Father in the Son. And He goes, And I shall not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you yet a little while, and the world no longer sees me, but you shall see me because I live, you shall live. In that day you shall know that I am in the Father and, the, and you in me and I in you. He who possesses my commands and guards them, it is he who loves me. Boom, mic drop. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I shall love him and manifest manifest myself to him. He keeps talking. We need to read our Bible in context. Then Yehuda, not the one from Kiriath or Iscariot. This is not Judas Iscariot. This is Judah, Judas, Yehuda. Okay. This other Judas said to him, Master, what had... Uh, what has come about that you're about to manifest yourself us and not to the world? Yeshua answered him, him, If anyone loves me, he shall guard my word. And my Father shall love him, and we shall come to him and make our stay with him. He who does not loves me, love me does not guard my words. It's like, how many times has he already said that? And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. He can't be any more clear. He's saying, I'm the prophet. The very word of God has been put in me, and that's the word that I'm sharing, and that's the one you need to be responding to. Folks, it's not a different Torah. It's the same one. He didn't change it at all. He goes, these words I've spoken to you while still with you. Now watch this. This is so cool, right? Because we love the Holy Spirit, right? He's he's our comforter and all this kind of stuff. I want you to notice the main job of the Holy Spirit. But the helper, the set-apart spirit, the Holy Spirit, set-apart, that's what holiness means, whom the Father shall send in my name, in my stead, for my place, he shall teach you all and remind you of all that I said. Why is that so important? Because it's, it's the proof that he's the prophet. And what's the Holy Spirit going to show us? Everything that Jesus said. He's not going to just show you how to get a new job. He's not just going to show you the safest way to get to work. He's not just going to give you your warm fuzzies. He's, he has sent to remind us and instill in us everything that Yeshua said. Why? Because Yeshua is the prophet. He 
Now, when you get to John 17, this is the Lord's Prayer. The other one's the model prayer. John 17 is the prayer that we have verbatim what Jesus said when he was praying. This is in the midst of his prayer in John 17. He goes, I have given them your word. He fulfilled his task. And the world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. Here's what's absolutely amazing to me about all of this stuff. It's like God cannot make it any more clear to us that He had a special prophecy about a prophet that was going to come that was going to be different than all other prophets. All the other prophets are going to say, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord's revealed this to me, da-da-da-da-da, and then this is going to happen, and all these other things. Yeshua is speaking and then explaining the words I just spoke are the words of the Father. Many times he'll say, thus it is written, thus it is written, as it is written. He quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible from the Torah. Is it any surprise that he would quote Deuteronomy? Because it's in Deuteronomy where it's really explained. In Exodus it's said, but in Deuteronomy it's really explained clearly. Yeah. And you know what is right? Also, the thing is, when you guys by mob said, we don't want to hear God directly because it might kill us, and God went, that's exactly right. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, to show you another twist to this whole prophecy, I'm going to send a prophet that's going to speak my word correctly, and you better hear what he's saying And guess what? He's also going to be your Messiah. He's going to be the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. And He's going to be my prophet, the prophet, like Moses. I was going to put together a list of all these ways where Yeshua was a prophet like Moses. But quite honestly, you can Google that. And there's a lot. There's like at least 30 different characteristics between Yeshua and Moses and how Yeshua is like Moses. But as I was studying this, I went, but you know what? None of that really matters. You know, Moses came down off of a mountain. Yeshua came down out of the mountain, out of heaven. You know, you go through all of these different things, you know. Um, Moses glowed with the very radiance of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeshua glowed when His radiance was revealed. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Like I said, there's at least 30 different similarities between Yeshua and Moses. But Moses wasn't the prophet. Moses wasn't the very Son of God. Moses wasn't the ultimate deliverer who would pay the price for our sins. He was a type, but Yeshua fulfilled it all. And the point in all of this is, when He came, we need to accept everything that He said, or are we really even following Him? We twist Scriptures all the time. All the time. One of them that kind of makes me nuts is the Great Commission. 
Matthew 28, you know, go therefore into all the world, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know. And I'm a Baptist, born and raised. I got Baptist blood in me, all right? Sonia and I met at a Baptist church, Shallow Terrace Baptist Church. I mean, I went to a Baptist school. I'm a Baptist. We're Baptist. That might shock some of you. But yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're Baptist. Uh, and, and all that's fine. But the Baptists have been so predominantly pushing that the Great Commission is about evangelism. Did you know that that's not the Great Commission? Did you know that? The Great Commission isn't about evangelism. He says that as you're going out there, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then you have to keep reading because he's still talking. Once again, you need to pray. And then repeat. And read it in context. So go out there and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He also says, and teach them to observe all that I commanded you. The Great Commission is to remind people and teach people this is what he said. So what do we do? Oh, it's about getting people saved. Let's get them down the aisle. You know, nickels and noses, brother. That's what it's all about. You think I'm kidding. It's an, it's, it's an abomination. So much stuff that happens in the church in the name of religion that has nothing to do with what he said. So then we take the very words of the prophet and say that he said something he didn't say. You go to Matthew 5. We've been over that verse, that passage, I don't know how many times around here, 17 and following, where he says, don't think I came to destroy the Torah. I didn't. I came to fulfill it. It means shed the proper light on it. Then he goes, heaven and earth is going to pass before the smallest jot or tittle of the law passes. And if you lessen any of these laws, God's commands, you'll be called least in the kingdom. But if you keep them, you'll be called great in the kingdom. And we go with a straight face. You see, he changed the Torah. Right there. And you go, uh, what planet are we on? Because if he's the prophet, folks, he can't change the Torah. He can't. Or he's a false prophet and deserves to be stoned. That's why in this section, you're going to have to go back and read it, he spends a lot of time talking about prophets. And then he says, but when a prophet comes in my name and says something, and it doesn't come to pass, he says, just don't worry about it. You need not fear that guy. Basically saying he's a false prophet, and he spoke wrong, and he's an idiot. Paul Henry paraphrased. Um, But that's why back in Deuteronomy 13, he gave us the Deuteronomy 13 test. And he said, I'm going to test you and see if you truly love me and will do everything I say. And I'll send a prophet that will do all these miracles. But then if he tries to get you to do something other than what I've said, it's a test for me to see if you love me and will follow me and do everything I say. So God will even test us to see if we're really, really willing to follow Him and do everything that He says. You see, Yeshua is the prophet. He is the Messiah. 
God could not have made it any more clear and that there's only one way to God and it's through His prophet and through His Messiah. Period. No religion is going to get you into the kingdom. Only a relationship will. Religion can get you a straight ticket to hell. But a personal relationship with the king will get you into a personal relationship with the king. And wherever the king is, that's heaven. Amen? And that's good news. He wants to have a relationship with you because he created you to be a reflection of his image. Isn't it interesting that when you study this out, and especially the story here about John the Baptist and in Yeshua's life, that it's also connected to Elijah. Isn't that fascinating? Elijah. Because they're asking, so are you Elijah? They're still looking for him. But when you look at the very bottom, the last passage I've got for you, it's taken out of 1 Kings. The one thing that Elijah is known for is what? His challenge to the prophets of Baal. Baal-zebub. Baal-zebub. Lucifer himself. So, <clears throat> Elijah feels like he's the only prophet left in Israel. King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel have Baal worship going on all over the country, sacrificing their own children and other stuff that's, that I won't talk about. Elijah feels like he's the lone prophet left. He issues the challenge, you know, between himself and the 450 prophets of Baal. And he, he does the offering and the fire, and the fire comes down out of heaven, and then Elijah chases the prophets down into the valley, and he kills them all. But what's really sad is what happened just prior to that event. This is the section, uh, the verse I've got for you here, and it says, Eliyahu, or Elijah, came to all the people and said, How long will you keep hopping between two opinions? If Yahovah is Elohim, then follow Him. And if Baal, then follow Him. But the people answered Him with not a word. They stood there in silence. These are not the prophets He's talking to. The prophets of Baal. He's talking to the people of Israel. The people of Israel... They're supposed to be looking for the prophet, the Messiah. They're supposed to have been looking for this Elijah. He's standing there in front of them. And he's asking them, because now they're in such apostasy. There's child sacrifice happening right there in Jerusalem. All over the country. And it's a big money thing. Big money thing. And he literally looks out at the people and says, how long are you going to hop between two opinions? What's terrifying to me is that question. That's what should be terrifying. He doesn't say, why are you guys following Baal 
when we should be following Yahovah. He doesn't say that. He looks out at God's people and says, how long are you going to flip-flop between two opinions between Yahovah and Baal? Meaning, syncretism. How long are you going to sit here and go back and forth and mix this garbage with worship of the one true God? So let's make a decision. Either Yahovah is God or Baal is God. And they stood there in stunned silence. It sounds like America today. Sounds like the world today. Where we take worship of God and we mix so much garbage in it. And it, it's like God is saying to us once again, when are you going to make up your mind? Either follow me or don't. And it says with that prophet, it's the ones that love him that are striving as hard as they can to keep the very words that he said in a way that will honor and glorify him. Therefore, when we start asking for things in his name, the father ends up being glorified through the son. We turn church into glorifying us. and praising the preacher or the evangelist or whatever instead of trying to find ways to glorify the Father through the Son. And why do we do that? Because we're constantly twisting and distorting the very Word of God. It's happening today. But you know what's cool? Here you are here tonight. Why? Because I believe that you, like me, want to simply know the truth. What does the Word of God say? And who is this Jesus? Who is He really? And did He start this new religion called Christianity? Or is, the, or is He the fulfillment of all prophecies we've ever heard about? Is He the very essence of why we live and breathe and where we are headed? Or is He just one of many prophets? Or is he really that unique? And if he is that unique, and he came for a reason to pay the price for my sin and your sin, and to give me and you an inheritance beyond anything you can imagine, to walk with and share in the very essence of the nature of God, And reign and rule with him on a, new, in a, on a new earth, in a new heaven, and rework that thing into a new garden of Eden with God himself walking with us and us ruling over the angels because we've been created in his image? What? You mean you and I were supposed to be a part of some massive glorious, divine counsel with God? With some sense of authority? With a place and position with God where the angels would go, I don't get it? That's what the Scripture says. They, they, will look, they look at us with an amazement. 
just absolute amazement. That's the inheritance he's offered you and I. That's why the apostle Paul said, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard the great things that our God has in store for those of us that love him. We can't even wrap our brain around it. It's that massive. Why? Because he loves you. And that's what he created us for. But we fell prey to the lie. And then we started distorting the very word of God. And then because we were distorting it, we couldn't make sense of it. We couldn't make heads or tails out of it. And we would read things like, well, I only said the things that my father said. I'm only doing the things that my father told me to do. And the words I'm saying are the words that God gave me. And we're going, well, okay, 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 I get it. No, we don't get it because we don't understand the importance of the prophet. And now when he says, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments, it makes even more sense, doesn't it? We want to think it means, oh, that means that, you know, we're going to keep Torah, wear seats, seats, blow the shofar, and that means I love God. Well, anybody can do that. Right? But the ones that truly love him are the ones that are trying to glorify him, and we're not doing it to get kudos from him, and we're not doing it so that our prayers will be heard so that we can get that new car. We're doing it to glorify the King of kings, Lord of all lords, the creator of the universe that came to this earth to prove to us that he is who he says he is, and he did it exactly the way he said he would do it. Man, he loves you. He loves us. Folks, when you see this world spinning out of control, relax. God is not out of control. Everything is going to happen exactly the way he's got it laid out. So when it looks like it's spinning out of control, it might look like the devil's getting his say and that he's, he's working in everything. Let me give you a little heads up. The devil is working in everything. He, he, he really is. Um, but that's Okay. You know what it means? Our redemption is coming soon. That's what it means. You know what else it means? Just surviving on this earth is about to be over. What that means is living in absolute total victory is right around the corner. What that means is that when this greater exodus happens and those of us that are fleeing in the midst of that, it means that our God will be there with us no matter what happens to this fleshly body because we're, we're going to be home soon. That's cool. No more worry, no more strife, no more hatred when all that happens and this total, absolute, perfect theocracy will actually one day happen in Eden with you and I there with a new physical body. You're not going to be a ghost. The whole promise in the scripture is that we will be resurrected and given a new body, not a ghost body. That's why when Jesus revealed himself, he said, stick your hand in here. Put your fingers in here. I tell you what, give me something to eat. Does a ghost eat? Does a ghost have flesh and bone like I do? No. 
They couldn't wrap their brain around it. But later, what? The Holy Spirit came, revealed to them, and reminded them of all that he said and commanded them. They went, oh my gosh, purple smoke in the room, blew my just brain, just blew my brain. Man, he really is the Messiah. He really is the prophet. He resurrected from the dead. He ascended up into heaven. He's going to come back and get us. We're going to reign and rule with him. Hallelujah. And they finally got it. Now we're getting it. Hallelujah. That's some good news, isn't it? But only if you have a relationship with this one true king. Because the question is still the same. Is God God? Or I'm going to say it bluntly. Is Yahovah God or is Lucifer God? That's the, the, there's, only, there's only two options. Either Yahovah is God and He's got a solution and a plan for our salvation or Lucifer is. That's been the battle from day one. And what everybody wants is freedom from God. That's what the world wants. They want deliverance from this loving God. Because this loving God has, well, stipulations and requirements. Of course, they think that Satan doesn't have any requirements and stipulations. It's because they don't know how to read the fine print. Because it says what's going to come when you decide over there is death and destruction and eternal damnation. But you might get wealthy here on this earth. You might get blessed here on this earth with a lot of people that will love you. Big payment for eternity. But that is the argument. People don't want to submit to the creator of the universe. So they'd rather say that we're free to worship whatever. No, you're not. That's why the scripture says you're a slave to whatever it is you're worshiping. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping the devil. There's, no, there's nothing in between. Because the devil is the epitome of I want to be delivered from this God that is going to try to send me to hell forever. And he's trying everything he can to keep from that happening. We'll talk about that at Sukkot. God loves you so much that he sent the prophet. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he's not into, quote unquote, man's rules and religion. All of this stuff was given so that we could live. The whole idea of judges and kings being over us or whatever was so that we could answer questions if we had a dispute on how to flesh this out. That's what was supposed to happen. These judges and priests were supposed to take the Word of God and go, let's see, you did what? And you were who? And so it says right here, well, this is what you do. Zip it, go on your way, fix it. If they couldn't solve it, then they had a Supreme Court in Jerusalem. And then God would even intervene if necessary and it would get fixed so that everybody was doing what the Word said so that everybody would be safe and nobody's taking advantage of other people. He loves you.